This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Welcome to the Hero Academy Podcast, the place where we can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes. I believe that frontline heroes such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those who have chosen to serve society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here you will learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their passion. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing. Things you can do to make extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you will learn from people like you who are working full time, but still found time to create a course, grow a big team or a large audience or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories and how they overcame burnout. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. I'm your host, David Diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. Hello, family, and welcome to this episode of uh, the Hero Academy podcast. If you're a frontline hero, police officer, fire, EMS, military, or medical professional, then you're in the right place, and this show's for you. This week, I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Bob Garland. Some people know him as Bobby from Fun the First, but in a professional setting, it's Rob. Uh, thank you for joining me, Rob. I really appreciate it. Hey, Super Dave. It's uh, incredible to be on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Uh, how many years did you put in? Uh, so I'm currently at 13 and a half years on the job. In the 13 and a half. Good NYPD. All right. All right. I wasn't going to ask which job, but you said it first. Where's your last assignment? Uh, so right now I'm in the 13th Precinct Detective Squad. Um, Detective Squad. Me yeah, too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, squad's a squad. I miss yeah. uh, I miss the narcotics days. I mean, I, as you can see, the beard, I'll never let go of it. <laughs> hey, how long did you do narco? Uh, about seven years. Yeah, that's one of my regrets is not ever doing UC undercover work. You know, that's one of my career regrets. Listen, it was an extremely fun experience. You know, dangerous, definitely dangerous. But the bonds that you build with the people you work with and the things that you see, I mean, they're everlasting for the rest of your life. And you know, the things you learn too in narcotics, what you're going to learn out there, you know, with your types of investigations you're doing will carry over into real life. And actually that's what helped me carry over into the business world. Well, were you ever in any, any situations that you were like, oh, that was kind of dumb. <laughs> you know what? I am retiring in the next, I should be retired in about a month or two due to an injury. I will come back on the show and tell you every story. <laughs> Uh, but since I'm still active, but yes, yeah. I mean, we've, we've all been in those situations before. There's been some, uh, some tough situations. You know, I'll tell a, I'll tell a pretty gross one because I'm sure your listeners love grotesque stories. You know, everyone does. Who, who doesn't? So I ran a giant wire case and we had 38 search warrants in one night. It was pretty incredible. So this was from 2017 into 2018. I was the lead investigator on this. It was a wire case. I was working with Homeland DETF. I had different credentials throughout the country. And on the night of our takedown, uh, we arrested, it was in the thirties, but we did, you know, 
like 38 search warrants. And they were across four different states. I was working with different departments to get these doors. And I had the main location, which was a gambling ring in the middle of Midtown. And not only were they doing gambling, but they were doing a lot of, uh, you know, it was all narcotics trafficking. It was heroin, it was cocaine, tons of money. You know, we're talking about millions of dollars pushing through. And uh, it was a fun case to work. After that case, um, one of the people that, one of the main subjects in it branched off and I started a new case against him. Instead of arresting him, I kind of started another one against him. And I'm not going to say his name obvious, for obvious reasons. All. But when we were buying from him, covers, she would always be like, he smells, something's weird about him. It smells, you know, but he always looked clean cut. Always selling heroin and cocaine, heroin, cocaine, clean cut, clean cut, clean cut. So finally, on the day of the takedown that we were going to hit his door, we boom his door, and it's a pigsty in this. It was kind of like living in like a halfway house, and it smelled like death in there. Then I really thought that I was going to find this guy dead underneath. And we're lifting up, and I'm finding needles, I'm finding everything all over the place. It's gross. So we walk outside. He happens to be walking in as we're walking out. So I grab him, throw him up against the wall. We throw him in cuffs. We say, you know, and he's like, how do you know my name? I'm like, I've known you for quite some time, you know? So um, as I'm putting him in cuffs, I go, you smell. I don't, I don't mean to sound rude, but you smell is not right. You know, do we need to bring you back and, and give you a shower? Because we're more than happy to do that. You know, we can bring you to the hospital, whatever you want to do. He's like, no, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, he looked, but it just smelled like something wasn't right. Bring back to the station house and we're processing. We're doing all that paperwork and everything. And then, and if you're familiar with the P van in narcotics, all the prisoners that for that set and for that night. And we just had this one takedown, so he was the only one in the P van. So I'm doing my paperwork in the back, and they're pro- they're in the uh, in the cells, taking off his clothes, doing a strip search, and checking him. They start screaming, right, screaming at the top of their lungs, telling me to come back. And I'm like, oh no, what is going on? I go in there, Dave. Have you ever seen pictures of someone that's suffering that has used crocodile? No. Okay, so crocodile is a narcotic that eats away at your flesh. Oh, my God. So his arms from all the way up, all the way up into his chest, it looked like, oh, I want to throw up right now. It looked like, like a lung that was ripped apart and shredded all over the place. It was disgusting, and it smelled. It was the... The worst thing I've ever smelled in my entire life. It was disgusting. Yeah. So we rushed into the hospital, got into the hospital. They freaked out. They tried kicking him out. And now, can you imagine if that was going on during COVID? You know, it would have been a mess trying to get this guy into a hospital. But they tried kicking him out with that. They're like, no, get him out of here. Because they wanted to send him to infectious disease and all this kind of stuff. And then finally, one doctor comes forward and was like, let me look at this. It's MRSA. So he had a serious, serious case of MRSA. And it was eating away at his flesh. And uh, we actually. Merce is highly contagious, too. Yes. Luckily, none of us caught it. None of us. Caught, and we all. I put this guy in handcuffs with bare hands. And if you're familiar with guys who work in narcotics, I did everything with bare hands. I didn't care. You know, I didn't put on gloves. I, everything I did, go to people's mat, wherever, cavities, whatever, I was using my bare hands. Just, oh my God. just the way we did things. But this guy, it was so disgusting. The doctor said it was such a severe case of Mercer that we actually saved his life by arresting him. Wow. It would have ate away, ate away his whole body. So he had to get skin grafts and everything. And, you know, a couple weeks later, he was like, no, it was pretty incredible. But yeah, that was a, I guess it's a grotesque story. It's something, you know, I could talk about. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hear a little one in the back. How old is he? Oh, yeah. Let's check on him. He's eating his cereal. That one, he's two and a half. Oh, that's a great age, man. 
He's two and a half. That's yeah, a great age. I got three, seven, four, and two. So. I got three also. That's that's really cool. Like, what were you doing before you started your career in the police department? Uh, playing baseball in college. Playing and then one of your college. buddies was like, hey, take this test? No, so actually my father was a detective. Ah, he worked in okay. narcotics. And growing up, I always, you know, like every boy, they idolize their father, you know? And whether they don't show it or not, every boy idolizes their father. They want to be like, and, you know, eventually there comes a time where they figure out what they want to do in their lives. And I did. And I had an opportunity to play professional baseball and I had a heart to heart with my father. And my dad said, listen, you have a lot of friends that are playing pro ball and they're sitting there in minor leagues, just sitting there. You know, they're not progressing no matter how good they're doing. A buddy of mine, buddy of mine was getting called up to AAA. He was in, in single A, double A, triple A. He was a rising star. And then all of a sudden he gets cut. And I'm looking at that. I'm like that. I don't want that to happen to me. You know, so I had an opportunity to move on and play and I was signing a contract. Everyone, everything was ready to go. And I choose the police department. <laughs> I said, my father's like, you know what? It's time to settle, get your career going and let's do something with your life. And, you know, my brother, actually, he plays professional baseball. So it's in our family. You know, it's definitely in our family. But I went on and I became a cop. I wanted to do what he did. He started in Brooklyn, but I ended up starting in Midtown which it sounds like it's such a soft place to work. But let me tell you something. When I came on in 2008, it was a different job. It was a different job. And, you know, Midtown was not opened up to all the tourists yet. You know, it was still drugs all over the place. It was, it was messy. You know, now it's like the sh- uh, OK Corral. It's like sh- shootouts in, in. It's insane. Now it's insane. Now it's insane. But there was a time period for like maybe five or six years where nothing happened. Nothing. Yes. yes. You know, it was Disneyland. Yes. Um, so, but I, I worked in Midtown. I started my career there and it was great. It was a great experience. From there, I moved on to Midtown North and I quickly moved into an anti-crime unit. And then I wanted to follow in dad's footsteps again. And I said, you know what? I want to go into narcotics. I applied for narcotics. I got it right away. And uh, I ended up getting his detective shield, which is pretty cool. Same numbers. That so, is pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, what's your side business now? So I do a couple of things, but uh, my main one is fund the first. Okay. Well, uh, tell me about that. Sure. So, uh, from the first, I'm sure you're aware of it. And I, and I, whenever I say this, I know now I know where we are. People definitely have heard of it. They've heard of it, but they don't know what it is. So at fund the first, we're the number one, most trusted funder platform for those who serve, which is military medical providers, nurses, teachers, first responders. And, uh, yeah, I got them all right. So, but, uh, we're number one verified crowdfunding platform. Now, what that means is people are like, well, what is crowdfunding? And crowdfunding is unique. Everyone's heard of GoFundMe, but GoFundMe has an issue. There's no real verification or vetting. So anyone can go on there and say that they're XYZ, going through XYZ. And if their network doesn't know what they really do for a living, they're going to donate because they have an emotional connection because they know that person. Now, that's an issue. And we want to develop something where our nation's heroes have something that they could really support, really rely on. Their donors will know that something is going to a true and honest source. That's why we created from the first. So in 17 months now, we're into our 17th month, we're up to almost 280 fundraising campaigns across the entire country that have raised a combined $2.6 million. And that's, that's incredible. Every single day. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Awesome, it's, it's really great. It's, it's a humbling experience. And you know what? Our sign that comes into every campaign, it's the support system that you see. You see hundreds of donors, sometimes thousands of donors on a campaign, leaving comments, you know, about why they knew this person or know this person. And that support system goes back to the family. And that family then gets a sense of, you know, 
relief off their shoulders because they're not looking at the dollar sign so much now. Now they're looking at that support that comes in. And that's what's so important because this is trusted. And, you know, that's sort of our partnership with ID.me. We're allowed to do this. And we're allowed to enable beneficiaries to be fully verified. And it's a fun, fun process. I mean, the other night we have uh, PJ Conley. He's a police officer in the 19th precinct. He does a toy drive using a platform. And this is the second year doing it because we, we've been live now 17 months. And he raised $8,000 to buy toys for the children at the Ronald McDonald House. You know, people don't realize sometimes people think that crowdfunding is only for, you know, a death or an illness. You could raise money for anything, for anything. As long as you understand to donate, to uh, share your campaign and ask people to donate, people will donate. You know, so it doesn't really matter what it's for. I mean, listen, if you're going on there and say you just broke your skateboard and you want a new skateboard, I highly doubt anyone's going to donate. But there are countless, countless things that people could raise money for. I mean, we have uh, basically everyone sort of Kickstarter. We have a Kickstarter type program that we built into the platform as well. It's called a tier incentive campaign. And people can offer different types of tiers back. So you donate $10, you get a T-shirt, you know, stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Uh, it's more geared towards businesses, but you could do it for raffles. You could do it for, for anything. So super excited. I mean, we've been in the news hundreds of times. I've been thankful enough to be on uh, Fox and Friends three times now. And I might be getting on again next week. I'm trying. We just uh, we opened up a new program. People don't understand crowdfunding again all the time. And sometimes they think that Fund the First creates these, these fundraisers. And we get emails all the time saying, oh, can you guys create this for us? And we have to explain, no, all you have to do is come to the website, you click start a fund the first, and you go from there. You know, you go through the process, and then your, your fundraiser is created. We verify and vet it. We make sure you're, you're verified also, and then we set it live. So when there's that common misconception, obviously, it's, it's a little tough for people to really understand what we do because, you know, nonprofits have like a similar type, you know, idea, but it's structured differently. So ours is just, it's a platform. It's a place for you to come to, to raise and you can rely on. What we're doing now, we have we have a give back program for the next year. So it actually started on December 15th and ends December 15th, 2022. What we're doing uh, in the tragic event of any line of duty death, we are matching $5,000 to that campaign. And in order to be eligible for that, uh, let's say you know Nassau County has a line of duty death and they someone from the department starts a fundraiser, the department or their unit or their command will have to share it on social media, via email or in the news, and they'll have to provide proof to us. The organizer or beneficiary of that campaign will have to provide proof to us in order for us to match that $5,000. And we're also offering that to line of duty injuries as well, and we're going to match up to $1,000. So it's pretty incredible. I mean, listen, this gets cross-country. Unfortunately, these tragedies happen daily, and we just want to be able to offer back and help these campaigns even more. I mean, five thousand really, yeah. really incredible program. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to trying to give back, and uh, you know, we started pushing this out a couple of days ago. I'm going to try to get in the news a couple of times to speak about it because, I mean, listen. The other day we saw in Phoenix, we saw Tyler Maldivan got shot. I'm not sure on his status right now. I know he was in critical condition, but I reached out to the department, and we reach out all the time whenever we see these tragedies, and we just let them know we exist. We say, listen, Fund the First is here. If you need to utilize us, we will be your support system. Because the last thing we want to see is someone going on GoFundMe or one of these other platforms, starting a fundraiser, raising funds, and then a copycat happened, and a copycat. And before you know it, there's six campaigns for the same person, creates donor confusion, and no one knows where to donate. I've seen that. I've seen that before, too. It happens all the time. And then you, as the department, you'll step in, and you'll 
have to shut down all of those fundraisers. You'll have to, you know, call GoFundMe and cancel them all. And then you'll have to share it out with your networks, which one is the real one. We avoid that by using Fund the First. That doesn't happen. It does not happen. So I reached out to their department. I let them know of our program. But this happens all the time. Unfortunately, when I reach out, you know, they say, oh, we'll look into it. And then three days later, there's a GoFundMe. And then they contact me and they say, I'm so sorry. We wish you we used your platform. So it's tough. But you know what? It's about awareness and recognition right now. And that's what we're building. And that's why I'm on your show, too, you know, for more people to understand it. What's the biggest obstacle to running a nonprofit? I mean, how'd you start it? Well, it's a, it's a business model. I'm sorry. It is a business. I mean, starting any business, it's all going getting the name out there to start, right? We do have a nonprofit, so I'm not confusing anybody. Um, it's called the Fallen First Reserve. And what that does is supports line of duty death families across the country. It's a business model. Uh, however, the business model that we created is actually stronger than any nonprofit out there, meaning we only take 5%. That's it. Ah, okay. That's okay. it. We take 5% on every transaction. Now, what that allows for us to do is obviously marketing expenses to form up there. If you've gone to our website, it's crisp. You know, it's a really, really great website. So it's that's to really upkeep what we're doing. Now, starting a business, any business, people say to themselves, okay, I have an idea, get started. You know, the first thing I always recommend is putting pen to paper and, and it's called an executive summary. You know, it's a summary of your ideas, what you want to do, where you want to go places with it, and then you move from there. So, um, you know, the biggest thing is putting pen to paper and getting your ideas out there, right? Building your business plan from your experience. Start with your executive summary, build a full business plan, and there's tons of templates out there to get an idea of, of what they are. But once you have that business plan, then you go out and you say, okay, how do I want to structure my company? Do I want to start it as an LLC? Do I want to be an S-Corp? Do I want to be a C-Corp? Where am I going to raise funds from, you know, capital-wise? Do I have a strong enough plan where I could say I could go to investors and ask to give up basically equity in my company and sell equity for capital? You know, luckily we did, and this is what we did, and it's public record, and that's why I talk about it all the time. We actually, before the platform was started, we raised $550,000 from 46 investors. You know, wow. we, did what's, we did what's called a seed round, and this enabled us to build our platform and put us where we are today. About a year later, we did what's called the Regulation CF, uh, which is a regulation crowdfunding round. We utilized a platform called Republic, which businesses could raise capital on, and we raised $130,000 off of there. We didn't really promote that too much, and it, it allowed for people to only invest $100. So it was great. We had hundreds of investors come in, and uh, it was really nice. It was, it was a special experience. You know, to have that capital and to be able to go out and have that experience, you know, be able to talk about it, it's so important. So who did you learn all of this stuff from? Like, who was your um, your support, your mentors, your coaches? <laughs> That's a great question. A lot of this came from personal research. Building out a business, sometimes it can't really be taught. You know, I have so many friends that went to business school. And when I tell them what I'm doing, they're like, how did you know to do any of that stuff? You know, because you don't get taught that in school. You know, in yeah. school, you know, friends of mine, they're like, they didn't teach us how to raise capital. You know, they talked about it. They didn't teach us how to do it, you know? So to be able to actually do it, I didn't go to school for business. I went to school for psychology, you know? And it was just really incredible. I did a lot of research on my own. I read a lot of books, but I did have one of my partners in Fund the First, Mitch Weinstein. Uh, he's a businessman and he gave me a lot of guidance. I'll never forget the first email that I wrote out to an investor. When we first started this, before before the platform was built and I was, we were trying to raise funds, I wrote this email and he hits me right away. He goes, you cannot write an email like that. 
Do you know what I did? The beginning of it, I wrote, hey, Mr. So-and-so. He said, you cannot address anybody when saying hey in an email. Uh-oh. And I didn't know this. And after that, all of my emails are always good morning, good evening, hi, hello, never hey. He said, hey is more of a friendship level. If you're friends with somebody, then you could talk like that. But if you're not friends, friends with them, and you just know them, it's not worth it. You can't do that. They'll look at you differently. And sure enough, that person didn't respond to my email. (laughs) So, you know, uh, but he gave me a lot of of guidance. My CFO, Michael LaLuna, him and I played baseball together in college. And he's a very, very well-versed businessman as well. So I gave a lot of guidance as well. But a lot of it's research, you know, it's, it's understanding the market, understanding what you need to do and, you know, pushing forward. So what was the point of raising the money? Like uh, what was it needed for? Cause I, I know there are initial expenses, but what was the point? So the biggest thing is obviously we couldn't build our platform. Platform costs hundreds of thousands of dollars just to build. You know, it's not just a cookie cutter website that you're getting off of, uh, you know, one of these. Wix. Yeah, Wix. Wix. it's not that. There's there's so much fundamentals, so much coding, so much behind, so many integrations, especially with that partnership with IDME. So there's a lot behind it. Yeah. So everything is it's to be able to get the platform started and build it out. Now, uh, any business you need, you're going to need capital. Into uh, things where obviously website expenses, which we need insurances. Insurance is very important. Uh, integrations. We have an integration with IDME. We have a credit card processing integration with Stripe. Marketing, Marketing is huge. You know, digital graphics, different. Uh, this hunt I can go down a hundred different things. You know that that you're going to need, and you need a you need what's basically a, a backup. You know, in case something happens, you need money uh, just in case. Luckily, we've been very fortunate with what we've been doing, and it's been going very very well. And he's a very very happy. So uh, it's moving nicely, but how many employees do you have? Zero. Zero employees. Yep. How many business partners do you have? So there's just me and one other guy, two other people that run this all day. Well, you have your chief financial officer and chief. That's it. Wow. That's incredible. We're doing this on our own. Yeah. Yeah, and right now we stopped our marketing strategy about seven months ago because we've been getting a lot of organic growth people sharing it on their own and stuff like that. So we're not really pushing too much uh, spend on that, but we're going to be kicking it up in the summer. A lot of ad spend, digital graphic spend, all that kind of stuff. Uh, to really and you, you have podcasts also, right? Yeah. Was the podcast podcasts. started uh, for the business or? Before? No, because I last year I started it as a way of giving people a voice. Same thing that you're kind of doing, give people a voice, right? I wanted to give people a voice that have been on our platform, that haven't been on our platform, but that follow the platform and that maybe don't have that voice. You know, I've been very fortunate to be on some of the biggest radio shows, the biggest podcasts, you know, the biggest TV shows, you know, but I want to give people a space where they could talk and maybe they've never been on something before. But you know what? Hey, I reach, I find those people and let them talk. You know, I think that's really important that everyone has a voice because everyone has something to say. Yeah, everyone has some great stories behind them. Everyone has some life experience that if they shared it, you know, other people would find value in it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So I actually know uh, Marcus Stroman's dad. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've known him for a long time. So when you mentioned baseball, that, that was like, you know, you know, your mind goes to connections. That's what I was yeah. thinking of. Oh, that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you sign with? Uh, he's with the Mets right now, I believe. 
I thought he's leaving for some reason. Oh, uh, he might. He might be. He might. Yeah. Be. I don't follow baseball. Ah. I actually found it really entertaining in the Mets stadium and in the Yankee stadium. I've been to like four games now in my entire life, but um, just to sit at home and watch a game, I can't deal with the commercials. And <laughs> it's just so boring to me. <laughs> yeah, nah. I hear you. It's a it's an acquired taste, but I, I mean, I played. I love the game. You know, I coach. I got uh, my older guy I'm coaching. Uh, my daughter decided this year she wants to play baseball. Can't say no. You know, she's four. You know, so she wants to play t-ball. So she's gonna have some fun. But it's a great game. My neighbor growing up, he was a state champion wrestler. He also played baseball, and he was like really good. At, he, he had trophies of like every sport he played. I don't know how, but he was in every sport. He played football. He played baseball. You know, um, I think the only thing he didn't play really was basketball, but because basketball and wrestling, the seasons conflict. Right. But he definitely played baseball in the spring, and uh, he was really good at it. He actually blew out his hip once, uh, swinging really hard. Oh, yeah, he, like he had a bad injury, bad hip injury, swinging for the swinging for the bat. But he was a really good athlete, like in everything. Yeah, so some people are super talented. You know, it's and I could barely, I could barely connect the bat with the ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say people don't realize you're hitting a, a round object with a round object. You know, it's tough. What was your position? I played outfield. Outfield. Yeah, I played outfield. Played outfield, switch hitter. You know, had more power from the left hand side, more of a line drive hitter from the right hand side. But um, it was fun. Unfortunately, I can't play again due to my injury. I got, yeah. I got two anchors in my shoulder. I could swing one armed. I was trying it the other day to see how far I could hit a ball with one arm. Put stuff. <laughs> how'd you get? How'd you get injured? Because I I've been, um, I had a couple injuries too. Yeah. So this happened in narcotics. In narcotics, just we we're doing a regular buy and bust set. Kid bought from our uh, our undercover bought from a kid. Uh, he ran on St. Mark's in Lower Manhattan. St. Mark's between I think it was second and third. He jumped down like um like one of those little alley kind of things. And when I grabbed him, I pulled him up was tussling with him. My shoulder just popped. And mm-hmm. uh, I had the initial pain in my thumb because I, I jammed it and it all went numb. And I'm like, ah, you know, I thought like I pulled a tendon in my thumb. And then as like the pain started to subside, I really felt it in my shoulder. I'm like, oh no, this isn't good. And uh, sure enough, I got an MRI two days later and uh, it was torn, torn mm-hmm. in half. So they put, you know, it, it sounds worse than it is, but they put two anchors, they drove them into the bone and then they wrapped the tendon around. So it's like any weather change, like right now it's warm, but when it's cold, it like cracks and it's just annoying. Really yeah, annoying. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish an injury on anyone, you know, cause a lot of people think all oh, three quarters, you're so lucky. You're not lucky. <laughs> you don't want to be injured. No, I mean, I'm limited. I mean, I get to retire three quarter pension, you know, I'm going to be out, but it's just, I can't do Like I can't get on the baseball field again. Yep. I could throw, I could have a catch. You know, but I can't run and die for a ball. I can't hit. You know, I can't do any of that stuff. You know, so it's just, it's unfortunate. But right now, it's a blessing. You have to stay home with with the three kids, you know. So that's, you know. When you are fully retired, you think you'll stay in New York or you think you'll uh, go somewhere else? No, I'll stay in New York. The kids are here. I don't want, you know, take them out of what what it's to. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to go to Florida or Texas. You know, me too. Uh, me too. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, maybe I'll buy a property down there and rent it out, and then some some place we could go to. I can't take them out. Maybe when they're eighteen, you know, when the youngest one is eight, 
what, 15 more years, then maybe I'll move. You know, right now I can't do that. All right. So uh, for the last four or five minutes, we'll play a quick game. Let's do it. I heard a story. (laughs) Uh And I'll start off. So it'll give you some ideas. It'll be, you know, funny police stories. And you don't have to use any names. But, like, I'll tell you an example that I heard a story of a guy who used to search. He'd get on duty. He would search uh, crackheads. And then he would save a little for himself and actually smoke it. (laughs) And I know that that's a true story, but I I heard that story. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. (sighs) (laughs) This is tough because my stories are not so PC. Let's think. I heard a story. Ah, uh, no, I can't use that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't use that. Oh man! From uh, another, give me another another precinct. You know, there's a lot of precincts all around. All no, around. but the thing is, some of these stories they're just not in today's day and age. You know, we're forgetting about the 400 different genders out there. So I got to be careful what I say. Oh man, I heard a story. Wow, this is um because I have. I have some good stories. Tell me a funny one. Tell me a funny one or a crazy one. I heard a story that two guys were working in a detective squad. And this is back years, years back. And one guy would always pick on the other guy when he was sleeping. So what the other guy would do when he was sleeping would go up to him and basically dump water on his head, things like that. So the story that I heard was, one day, this guy that was sleeping faked that he was sleeping and waited for this to happen. And when it happened, he chased this other guy with darts and threw <laughs> darts and got one stuck in his back. <laughs> that's so, a good story. Yes. That's a good story. Yes. Yes. That was a, that's a good story that I heard. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good story. Um, but uh, everything else, when I retire, I'll tell every story. Don't worry. Yeah. I know retired guys can tell so many more stories because you don't, you don't really care at that point. There's no backlash, nope. you know? Nope. Yep. Yep. No I, got, I got a lot of stories too, but you know, I don't want to make people look bad and they'll know <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's fun times, you know, uh, on the job, you know, there's, we experience so much and sometimes we get bored and things just happen, you know, they just happen. All right. I, I, I heard a wild story. This was a guy from another precinct. He did some crazy shit. Like he was in uniform. He went from one county in Long Island out to the city in uniform and arrested someone who wasn't doing something for him. And the city contacted the department out east and was like, hey, you guys doing an operation? <laughs> oh, my God. Because we just saw one of your guys in uniform, because they were watching this person also. Uh, we just saw one of your guys in uniform arrest this guy. That guy got fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So that would be like an NYPD guy in uniform driving across the bridge to Jersey and locking someone up in, like, Atlantic City. In oh, uniform. My God. In uniform. That's wild. <laughs> that is wild. In your personal car. Yeah, you're, com- you're, coming, with- you're coming with me. <laughs> oh, goodness. I heard a story of a guy that was working in uh, lower Manhattan, and he used to drive a scooter. 
and he was dating a girl that worked in Upper Manhattan. And he took the scooter and totaled it on the West Side Highway, got out of it, ripped off his uniform, left it in the scooter, and disappeared. <laughs> and they put out a missing persons report for him because he disappeared for two days because he didn't know what to do. And he was considered AWOL, missing person, came back, and he didn't get fired somehow. <laughs> he got suspended. <laughs> he got suspended for 30 days. And did, when I say the, the scooter, and you've seen these, these little tiny scooters, it was total. Like, it went into, like, one of those compressors. Like, he was done. And he left his uniforms, his gun, everything. And just got that, suspended. That is why... Now, that's the scooter example, but that's why so many people get caught for homicide, because think about it. He panicked just from having an accident and didn't know what to do. Think about when someone accidentally or like intentionally kills someone and then they panic after. They make so many mistakes, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you watch these shows. <laughs> you can learn a lot from the shows. Dexter. Dexter. <laughs> I'm, watching, uh, I'm watching Money Heist right now. Awesome. Money Heist. That's the uh, foreign language one? Yeah, they, it's in English now, but it's great. It's really good. I tried to watch it, and I think I was watching the uh, the dub version, and like I just got turned off by it, you know. But I love really? Heist. Yeah, yeah, I love Heist, like Ocean's Eight and mm-hmm. Ocean's Eleven. You know, all of those. Yeah. Ocean's Thirteen. I love those type of movies. Yeah, they're good. This one's really good because there's so much strategy behind it. It's really good. Yeah. All right, brother. I'm gonna let you go. Take care of. Uh, What's his name? It starts with a C. Colton. Colton. I, have a, I have a tattoo Colton. on me. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> so cool. I so I don't forget his name. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. Congratulations on, on uh, having little people, being a leader of, of little. <laughs> of little <laughs> leader people. of little. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. And thank congratulations you. On, on the first, man. That's incredible. Um, thank thank you. you for all of your work, all of your service. You know, That's an incredible business that you run. It has an incredible mission. And if people want to find you, uh, where should they look? Yeah, go to fundthefirst.com. My information right there is on our team page if you want to email me or, or text me. Fund the First, it's, it's spelled out F-U-N-D. D, the First, yeah. The First, yeah. and First is spelled out also. Correct. Right. Okay. So on our team page, if you look at my bio, my phone number, and my email are there. You can also find me on any social media, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm there. Thank you very much, Rob. I appreciate it. It's been fun. All right, Dave. Awesome. Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, when you retire, I'm going to have you back on. We'll tell you know, the real gritty ones. Be a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to good. you later. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith1. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.